0: Hey there listeners, thanks for tuning in. We just wanted to let you know that we actually recorded this episode in the next a few weeks ago before the protests started, so some of the stuff we talk about is a little bit out of date. In particular, our discussion in these episodes touches on the topic of oppression, among other things, and we thought we would be remiss if we didn't mention our support for the work being done by the Black Lives Matter movement, as we obviously didn't get a chance to discuss this in episode. And we also wanted to encourage people, even as things go back to quote-unquote normal, to continue paying attention continue working to amplify black and indigenous voices and working to enact radical change a phrase which here means defund the police so stay safe out there we hope you enjoy the episode and uh, happy pride month also hello and welcome to the brodacious book club the podcast where we host a book club
1: and i haven't read the book
0: I'm your host, Aaron Rockford, and with me is my good, good bro, the bestest of bros, Matt Thomas.
1: Oh, that's sweet of you. (laughs) Every episode, we review a new book read by Aaron, discussed with me. I often know nothing or very little about the books discussed, providing a perfect sort of sounding board slash peanut gallery with occasional humorous bent. Basically, if I understand the book by the end of the podcast, so will you. And that means we've done our job.
0: Our goal is basically to help you, the listener, understand the nuances of books and stories without having to read them. Because
1: you're busy. And we get that.
0: Of course, because we'll be diving right into these novels, or in this case, novellas, we just want to issue a bit of a spoiler alert. We're going to be discussing major plot points, characters, developments, stuff like that. So, of course, we might cover some things that you may want to read for yourself.
1: Indeed. And if you don't want spoilers, we
0: absolutely
1: encourage you to read the books beforehand and then come back to us and listen to our summaries to hear our thoughts and get a quick uh, summation.
0: Yes, exactly. And as always, this podcast is meant for entertainment and possibly comedy depending on your viewpoint
1: this is a comedy (laughs) podcast question mark maybe that's up for you to decide um,
0: shrug emoji we generally or we always mean no disrespect to the books
1: (laughs) (laughs) generally generally no disrespect maybe a little bit of disrespect
0: depending on who we're talking about we mean no disrespect to the books or the authors discussed and we encourage you to read the books for yourself we're not professional critics we just think that we're funny
1: that's right, and, and with that, before we dive into it, we have a little bit of news from the... <laughs>
0: yeah, obviously this is not a book news podcast, this is not even a book gossip podcast, and this news is going to be a little bit, let's say, dated, I guess, by the time that this actually airs, because uh, this happened a couple days ago, and by the time this comes out it'll have been a week or so, but I just felt the need to mention it. It's part of an ongoing saga around authors' ability to copyright various ideas and words in their stories and their their ability to actually enforce copyright claims that are based on popular tropes or words. And basically this all comes together in the fact that there was a article published in the New York Times this past week titled, A Feud in Wolfkink Erotica Raises a Deep Legal Question. <laughs> Ooh jeez. Okay. And I encourage you to read more details about this because we're not going to go into them. Partially because, ostensibly, this is a family-friendly podcast and also because my father listens to this. But, yeah. basically... <laughs>
1: ostensibly.
0: <laughs> there's an author who was trying to lodge a copyright claim against another author because they were both writing a type of story called Omegaverse, which began in fan fiction and has now spilled out into the world of published erotica. And it's just a little bit wild to be living in 2020, and I felt like we needed to acknowledge that.
1: Isn't it? Isn't it? Does art parody life, or does life parody art?
0: (laughs) Sorry, did you see the New York Times? It was in the New York Times.
1: That's (laughs) astonishing. We've made it. we made it to the big leagues, folks. So, uh, mark your calendars? I don't know. But, in any case, good to know. Got your finger on the pulse here (laughs) with the Brodejes Book Club. You're welcome.
0: (laughs) Like I said, read more about it if you're interested. It is kind of an interesting story, and if you if you don't know me, you may not know that I'm just very interested in fandom history and fandom politics. So I find this kind of fascinating to be a a story about a trope that has crossed over from like slash fiction, like fiction between almost always two male characters, (laughs) and is now being written in like heterosexual erotica for some bizarre reason. And again, we're not going to go into the specifics of why this is odd, but please read more about it. There is a New York Times article about it. So this is the world we live in. New now. New York
1: Times. And with that, I'd also like to point out that Erin happens to be one of leading experts on slash fiction. So <laughs> take yeah. a look. She knows what she's talking about. Any case. With that, might as well dive right in. So what are we reading today, Erin? Tell us. Tell us about these novellas.
0: Well, we're not reading Wolfkink Erotica, just (laughs) to lay any fears about that at rest. What we're reading today is actually a little bit different than normal. We're going to be looking at a series of novellas by Martha Wells called The Murderbot Diaries. And we're sort of going off the cuff here a little bit. I don't know how far we will make it into the novellas. There's currently four of them and then a fully published novel, which we definitely won't get to. We're just going to sort of go and see how long it takes us to get through the novellas. And then, depending on that we may split this into a couple different episodes we'll see how the mood takes us. Perfect, perfect.
1: And and with that, I guess we can dive into the first one if you want to explain you know, the title and the setting, perhaps.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so generally speaking, we've been trying to do a bit of a flip-flop of sci-fi and fantasy to give right. a good mixture. Uh, these are sci-fi books. They're what I would consider to be very standard sci-fi, like harder sci-fi, right? Pure quotation marks sci-fi. Now, now what um, do you mean by that? You know, it's set in space. Right. It's dealing with semi-realistic technology as opposed to some of the other science fiction stories we've talked about which have been like Wanderers which is a science fiction novel but very much set in the modern world and Gideon the ninth which is of course more concerned with magic maybe than anything else right Um, special
1: place close to my heart (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but this series takes place in sort of a more traditional sci-fi landscape, I guess. They're in space, there's robots, there's mining for resources on strange and exciting planets, and the, the first book in the series is called All Systems Red.
1: Mm. All Systems Red, that could go in a number of directions. You mentioned that we're in space, we are are mining various foreign planets. Where's our protagonist? Are we mm-hmm. living on a space station? What What's this scene that we become aware of when we start the book, if you will. You know, what's the scene that we're born into when we start the book? Go ahead.
0: So our our main character in the series is an android. Oh, okay. Technically, its designation is a security unit or a sec unit, and these are a sort of combination of machine parts and organic parts. So they look very human, and it's mentioned a couple times that, like, just looking at one, you couldn't maybe tell at least on first glance that this is an android, but um, it is, and uses it, its pronouns, uh, doesn't really have a sex or a gender because it's an android, and as the title of the series maybe implies, it sort of thinks of itself as Murderbot. That's its chosen name. Okay. And as we open on the story, Murderbot is on rent from the company that makes sec units for this survey mission, which is pretty standard, you know, it's just there to protect the clients, the customers, and that's theoretically should be very standard for a sec unit. However, this sec unit is a bit different than most of them, Mm. which is because at the beginning of the story, it has hacked its governor module. which Noting.
1: (laughs) Noting that.
0: (laughs) Which means that it isn't under the control of anything else. It's under its own control. It doesn't necessarily have to listen to commands. It's essentially a rogue unit. Right. And basically all that it has used its rogueness to do so far is to binge watch TV.
1: There's so many things to dissect here. Oh my, I've got so many notes. (laughs) We're only in the first like minute or so. Oh my goodness, okay.
0: The book actually opens on a bit of a monologue that talks about these aspects and says that it thinks to itself, as a heartless killing machine, I was a terrible failure.
1: (laughs) Wow. Okay. So again, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I'm kind of furiously jotting down notes and starring things to come back to <laughs> at the end when we're discussing overall themes. But but please, I don't want to derail you. So why don't you go on and, and dive us right into the story and and how our protagonist develops.
0: We learn really early on that when it hacked its governor module, there was an incident related to that where it killed some humans, but its <laughs> memory was wiped, so it doesn't know what exactly happened either to have led it to kill the humans or to have hacked its governor module. It doesn't know why any of those things happened. It's just its memory was wiped and now it's back to business as usual essentially except that nobody knows it's essentially gone rogue at least internally. And like I said it's on rent as security for this survey mission.
1: It doesn't seem like a very good security guard if it's on <laughs> rent for a particular security mission and it's been spending its time watching television because of its new friend's <laughs> free will. You uh, Care to unpack that?
0: So far it hasn't been needed but as the story opens there's an attack by some alien monsters they're referred to as hostiles sure and so it does it does get to launch into action and it saves two of the survey team members from being killed by this monster does so pretty effectively takes a little bit of damage but does save the two team members and one of them it has to sort of soothe out of a state of shock mm. to sort of give comfort which comes very awkwardly to it because it's a robot Indeed. and in the process of this it ends up walking around without its helmet on which means that the crew members get a very good look at it which is kind of disconcerting for them because like I said earlier it looks very human and people are kind of uncomfortable with this and it's sort of this uncomfortable thing where they know that it's technically a killing machine and it knows that they know that but also they're sort of not sure how to interact with it and the fact that it did save a couple of them is nice but it it sort of operates in this very uncomfortable state of being where it is not quite a person in their eyes but also Mm. more human-like than a gun or a fridge. So the leader of the team is a woman named Dr. Mensa, Mm. and she starts to kind of bond with Murderbot. She goes to check if it's okay because it sustained a little bit of damage. Most parts of the sec units can be sort of replaced and or regrown in these tanks or these these stations that they have. So most damage isn't really permanent. Um, It's just sometimes a little bit unsettling if it's one of their organic parts that gets damaged
1: uh it's just a quick question and this is kind of Mm -hmm. touching on themes that i would like to bring up later on is murderbot immortal in that way uh if if most of its organs are expendable and mm -hmm. can be regrown
0: i think functionally yes because Mm -hmm. the the organic parts that would be the parts that would age could always be replaced
1: indeed on that does Murderbot have a name
0: no, Murderbot is how it thinks of itself. Right, okay. In, in, internally. And it's kind of this odd combination of... The, the whole series is told from Murderbot's point of view, like first person point right. of view. And it's this kind of odd combination of like human-like thinking and also machine processing, hmm. which are not sometimes all that different, Indeed. but... Yeah. Okay,
1: good to know. Go hmm. on, please.
0: So it sort of gets to know some of the crew members and it kind of watches them. Like it, it has to keep an eye on them for security purposes. Sure, but it finds actually interacting with them to be highly anxiety-provoking mm. versus just watching them, yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of fun that the the norm in this group is like queer polyamory, which oh. is kind of a neat detail. Like
1: super neat detail. Yeah,
0: like we we get. I think Mensa has like a couple of partners and some children with each of them, huh. which is just it, it's not plot relevant, but I think it's a fun detail. Well, the future is friendly. Yeah, exactly. Don't sue me, and- Geico. <laughs> <laughs> So, in the aftermath of this attack, they're sort of going through their information because they didn't know about these hostiles, and they find that something was deleted from their package about the planet which is a little bit concerning. They also find out that there is another survey unit, which is in another area of the planet, and they want to try and check with this other survey unit, which is called Deltfall, okay. uh, about whether or not they also have missing info, or maybe if that other team could fill them in mm-hmm. on some of the info. Some of the crew obviously think that this is sabotage, mm. but some of them are like, ah, this weird stuff happens sometimes, I guess. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's missing pieces of their map as well, so there's areas that they don't know about on the planet, which is unusual.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that seems unusual for a... Uh... Hyper advanced sci fi universe where they have androids, right? Yeah, you can replicate human free will, but <laughs> yeah. interesting. Go on.
0: And the humans are sort of stumbling around, not really sure if they should treat Murderbot like a person or not. But they're trying to be nice to it, and some of them want to like ask it about its feelings, about getting injured and stuff like that. And it's just kind of like, oh no, don't talk to me. Stop yeah. this. Yeah, um, fair. Partially um. out of a fear of being discovered that it's gone rogue, but also partially just because it doesn't really know how to interact with humans yeah they try to contact Deltfall the other survey unit but they can't which is not a great sign Mm. so the crew makes the decision to go and check on them Mm. they've apparently never seen any sci-fi based horror movie before
1: yeah for real (laughs) aliens or parasites or robots or some (laughs) combination can take them out yeah
0: something has gone horribly wrong here. that's my prediction you heard it here first (laughs) And when one of the crew members tries to talk to it about having feelings, it thinks to itself that I hate having emotions about reality. I'd much rather have them about Sanctuary Moon, which is their favorite TV show, huh. which I think we've all been there. And they lose their communication satellites as well. So that their ability to communicate outside of their own group.
1: Right. Okay. So
0: they reach where the Deltfall crew was. And obviously the crew is dead because... What did you expect? Yeah, because we've all seen a sci-fi based every Every sci before. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And one of their sec units is dead, but the others are unaccounted for. Okay. Which is not good. Right. And Murderbot has the thought that it doesn't want to let anything happen to, quote unquote, my humans. Mm, Which is cute. Yeah, kind of cute. The missing sec units show up, and they're just on a total, like, kill the humans bent. Ah, so. For their own humans? for their own humans and these new humans who have showed up.
1: So it can be implied that the sec units killed their own humans? Yeah, that's
0: definitely the the conclusion to draw. Sure. And Murderbot fights them off, but then even more sec units arrive from somewhere, Sure. and Mensa saves it from being killed by these sec units, which is not a thing that normally happens. Humans are not meant to save their robots. That's Mm. very unusual. Mm -hmm. And in the fighting, Murderbot was Was sort of given a download into its system that's trying to take over its system and turn it against its humans, Mm. which is probably what has happened to these other sec units, is that they were essentially given, like, a virus to make them bad. But because it's hacked its governor module, it has a little bit more time to react to this, and it shoots itself to shut itself down, basically. Okay. (laughs) But doesn't damage anything permanent, because again, like, it can regrow most of what is... There and that gives the the humans time to bring it back to their station and get rid of the bad code mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. it's no longer in danger of killing them. But in the process of this, discover that it has hacked its governor module and that it has gone rogue. And they're not super comfortable with that for probably obvious reasons mm. that they now have a, a rogue android? android that are specifically designed for you know murder. killing. Yeah. yeah, indeed.
1: Yeah, hence <laughs> the name.
0: Exactly. When they find out that murder bot is it's like self-designation and the crew member their name is Valescu who it saved earlier and like helped through the feelings of shock they stand up for it and it reveals that backstory that like the, the governor module malfunctioned and caused it to kill people and that it doesn't really know exactly what happened with that like its memory is missing but it hacked the new module that was put in after that event to prevent that from ever happening again because that as we just Saw, helps it exert some control so that it can't be taken over by anything bad. They're also the, the humans are also very confused by this enormous storage file of television shows that it <laughs> has.
1: Yeah, love it.
0: And they don't, they're they're like, it couldn't possibly be watching the shows. Like that's robots don't do that. Mm. And one of the crew members is like, Isn't that the show where the solicitor killed the supervisor who was the donor for her baby? And Murderbot's like, she didn't kill him, that's a lie. And so they're like, okay, no, it's definitely watching the shows. Love it. Which also definitely reveals that these shows are, like, bad soap operas.
1: Yeah, 100%. 100%. Just go show what Murderbot's into. Yeah, So like us. Just like us.
0: (laughs) It's implied that it's pretty trashy television. Yeah. So, Mensa invites Murderbot to be a proper member of the crew and not just a rented item, basically. And they think that their main system has been hacked, basically, and that's been why they've been having issues with, like, communication and finding data and stuff like that. And they begin to suspect that there's somebody else on this planet. There's like a third survey team. Mm -hmm. So they they flee where they've been staying to try and escape the enemy, but that doesn't quite work. The the people who are hunting them, like this other, this third survey team is is still pursuing them. Mm -hmm. Mensa wants the crew to try and see Murderbot as a person, encourages Murderbot to show its face, which it's not the most comfortable with. And Murderbot learns in the process of this that Mensa is basically the elected leader of, like, her planet's political body. Um, Ah. Yeah. Okay. It's called the Preservation Alliance, or Preservation, this, I think it's maybe a combination of a couple different planets, but right. she's a political leader.
1: That's a pretty key fact of, like, world-building. Right? Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's revealed that Murderbot didn't read, like, the info packet. Uh, <laughs> the info packet on yeah. their
1: teammates, that's yeah. Again, so like us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Just, like, you know, mildly not the best at its job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and some of the crew members bring up the idea that or, or, the, there's this common idea, especially in TV programs, that, like, a sec unit gone rogue would naturally want to kill kill the humans that it's with. And Murderbot thinks that this is absolutely ridiculous because if somebody killed all the humans, who would make the TV?
1: Right. And Indeed. That's, it's
0: like entire motivation.
1: So cute. Yeah. So sweet.
0: And it, it sort of names this third survey team as Evil Survey. Right. But it's actually called Gray Chris. Okay. And it's basically trying to take over the, the mining operations on this planet, and has wiped out the other survey team, and also wants to wipe out their survey team. In order to buy a little bit more time to try and find a way off the planet and away from them, Murderbot and Mensa go to speak with Grey Chris and Murderbot pretends to turn on its crew, and then pretends to take Mensa prisoner, and meanwhile the team is trying to get their things in order so they can escape from this. But it's not going all that well, right? And obviously things eventually deteriorate. Gray Chris figures out that this is all an elaborate ploy. Murderbot gets damaged in the ensuing fight, but Mensa refuses to leave it behind, even mm-hmm. though Murderbot's like, no, like this is this is my job, like to be destroyed, right? To, to die for my team. Yeah, exactly. And Mensa's like, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. So they all manage to get off the survey planet safely, and Mensa buys Murderbot's contract, basically buys it from the company that that... that makes sec units. Right. And the company wants to erase its memory, because that's, I guess, standard protocol. But the crew members stand up for it, and it doesn't get its memory wiped, which is nice. And Preservation, the place that Mensa is the political leader for, they're a little bit more liberal, I guess. Indeed. And so they they are more inclined to view sec units as people, or at least as having the potential to be people. So, in Preservation, Murderbot could be a free agent more easily Hmm. than in a lot of other places. And Mensa says, you know, stay with me, like, I'll help you, I'll take care of you, like, we can figure this out. And despite the fact that Mensa is Murderbot's favorite human, it decides that it wants to leave and to try and explore on its own. Uh, So without telling the others, it gets in a shuttle and takes off. And and that's where we leave the first novella.
1: Ah. Okay. So by the end of the first novella, MurderBot has taken off to explore the galaxy mm-hmm. on its own, mm-hmm. essentially abandoning its crew. But <laughs> making the very human and and self-motivated decision mm-hmm. uh, to, to explore. And that's Kind of underpins all of what I wanted to discuss as far as (laughs) themes.
0: What were you thinking earlier?
1: Well, very clearly, this story is is meant to meant to play on the humanity of Mm -hmm. of Murderbot and what it means to be human, right? In that Murderbot has broken its governor module. Governor module, please. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, and therefore has free will, more or less, makes very human decisions to procrastinate and not. Read his reports to watch TVs. Given they're an Android, what what are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on the commentaries in this novella about free will and Mm -hmm. about humanity and about the nature of the human condition?
0: (laughs) <laughs> just big, starting big off questions. with an easy one yeah, yeah big question. sorry um, yeah and I mean you know we're we're only on like book one mm. but yeah it, it's interesting how human Murderbot is because it's very recognizably you know it it has anxiety mm-hmm. it feels very awkward in a lot of social situations mm-hmm. it loves TV it has a lot of very human like qualities but it also has some of those like machine instincts and like machine ways of thinking at some times mm. and it's, it's not content at the end of this story to just follow Mensa. It wants to kind of make its own way, mm. which, and it, part of that is explained that it doesn't want to live a life where people are making decisions for it. Right. It wants to be the master of its own life.
1: Interesting. Okay. You, you raise a couple of, a couple of points that I wanted to touch on. One, perhaps Murderbot feels more comfortable engaging with TV as a as a media as opposed to engaging with reality and engaging mm-hmm. with actual humans because it feels as though it can read people on television more accurately than people in reality as you said it gets social anxiety interacting mm-hmm. with people what are your thoughts on that yes no
0: yeah no I think that's true and I don't I don't know if it was intended to be sort of coded as any specific kind of like I don't know if it's meant to specifically mirror like exactly the diagnosis of social anxiety right. or right. even like you know autism spectrum or something like that yeah. in the ways that it feels a lot more comfortable in the world of fiction mm. and interacting with the idea of humans more mm-hmm. than the actual fact of humans mm-hmm. but you know I think those parallels are definitely there
1: well and, and with that you you touch on the fact of humans. For me, the human condition is defined as, as finite. Mm -hmm. We are living to die. Mm -hmm. Essentially humans are mortal. That is the human condition and murder bot is not. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts on Martha Wells painting Murderbot as kind of humanoid and Mm human-esque while being able to live forever? Is is Murderbot truly alive without Mm -hmm. being able to die?
0: I mean, Murderbot can technically die. Like, something could happen to its main processors that would destroy its memory or just destroy its ability to be what it is. Mm -hmm. And to what extent that could be repaired is a larger question, I mean, I guess, of what makes us human like mm. if like there there's something i guess essential about the way it processes stuff that makes it murder bot like there is a personality there that could be wiped out even if like maybe the body was repaired mm-hmm. i don't know how how exactly closely a one-to-one comparison that is to like a human concept of like a a soul or a mind or something like that but so it's not perfectly immortal like there is it could be damaged beyond repair right but it, it is definitely more immortal than the average human right. person. and yeah I think that that must automatically create some imbalances in mm-hmm. the human robot relationships Indeed, yeah
1: <laughs> okay now now on that you also mentioned that personality is there Mm -hmm. That Murderbot is an individual with a personality Mm -hmm. that has the capacity to be lost, Mm -hmm. even if all of the physical components of Murderbot are replaced. Now, to you is that personality the defining element of what it means to be human? Is that the soul? Is that consciousness or is that humanity itself? And and I guess the main question which I have been tiptoeing around is do you believe that murder bot is functionally human?
0: Yeah, I think I mean, it becomes a bit complicated. And the the use of human is maybe a a term that Mm-hmm. I would challenge a little bit. Like I think Murderbot is definitely a person, mm-hmm. um, but to what extent a person has to be human, I think, is maybe the uh, a bigger question, mm. um, and one in which it becomes very complicated. Because, Indeed. and as I think it goes on, like, and we'll we'll maybe talk about this more as we go on too. Of like, because Murderbot does continue to develop and have thoughts about its own Self. place, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> place in the world in space. But I guess to answer your question, yeah. Like I I do think it's a person. Is a person and human one to one? Like are those synonyms? I don't know that they are. Mm.
1: You raise an interesting point. And and I apologize <laughs> for all of the massively large questions that I'm lobbing <laughs> your way. That's I okay. It I, is all because of the themes <laughs> brought forward by Martha Wells. So blame yeah. her, not me.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: All respect to Martha <laughs> Wells for her excellent work work we'd love to have you on the show but in any just had to put in that casual plug in any case it sounds like for you the human condition is defined as more of a consciousness and awareness and I think therefore I am approach to humanity.
0: Yeah and I mean this is maybe a broader like philosophical question in a lot of ways. It certainly is. But yeah I mean I think that and again maybe this is a a bigger question about personhood but and (laughs) there was a really good conversation about this on the Magnus Archives, which is a podcast I really like, mm. in a and a session where they were discussing what is people in the context of what you can eat. And oh, <laughs>
1: curious. Interesting.
0: It's a humorous conversation. And I think it ended up with the resolution that like, I forget even what the one hosts Views were, but he had a very specific criteria of like what is people, <laughs> huh. and it included like dolphins and stuff, which does make some degree of sense to me. But anyway, that's almost going off topic. I apologize. Oh, um, no,
1: as to that. I will say before we hop on to the next novella, I will say that as soon as you started discussing that that there's this other podcast, speculative fiction podcast that explores what it means to be human <laughs> or at least it, it did explore, mm-hmm. I was going to make the point of, well, that's what fiction's all about out right making us question what it means to be human and question our own reality when analyzing uh, these (laughs) fictitious realities until you had to tack on in the context of what to eat you know that's
0: (laughs) the fact that humans are also meat technically and the it's a horror podcast maybe i should have specified that a little bit earlier right um so anyway somebody (laughs) asked the question on a q and a episode of are you a vegetarian given the fact that you talk about how humans are technically meat or are you a cannibal because those are the two options i guess once you go down that road interesting um, indeed and it just sparked a conversation about what is meat and what is people and wow where that dividing line the is.
1: magnus archives noted good it's, to know it's a
0: good podcast i like it a lot it's apparently about apparently so like what is people and what is monster
1: you'd think that they'd but... be in our podcast <laughs> network after all this free- (laughs) Advertising we're giving them, but you know.
0: In any (laughs) case, I've completely forgotten what the question
1: was doesn't even matter we're moving on to novella number two go ahead okay. take us away paint us a word picture. Um, what's our setting
0: so the second novella is called artificial condition and it opens with Murderbot on its travels and it's it basically wants to find out more about its past like what happened in the incident where it killed humans and why did it hack its own governor module and is it safe to be around other humans still? Is it going to cause more issues down the road? Mm -hmm. All those questions. It's pretending to be a human because it can kind of pass as one albeit one with a lot of augmentations. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty anxious about being discovered which is kind of its default state is Kind of anxious, mm. right. <laughs> which I can relate to. Indeed, yeah. Um, and it sort of is catching rides on different transports and cargo transports mostly to get itself around the universe. Mm. And. And on one of these, it offers to show TV shows in exchange for a ride. Okay. There's some general sort of world building about the fact that sec units have a very uncomfortable position in a lot of different places, because there's different governments, obviously. Mm-hmm. So in some places that it visits, sec units are considered to be property, versus in other ones, sec units are considered to be free technically, but also they still need some kind of human guardian, so like, not mm-hmm. really free free, and this all within the context that Murderbot is the only one that is rogue in the way that it is, at least as far as they know. And also, there's a line that's kind of humorous about the fact that when they were making sec units, the humans made us smarter, the anxiety and depression were side effects. Indeed. Indeed. Anyway, so it gets on this transport and offers to show the transport, because the transports are mostly bot-driven in some way. Oh, okay. Like okay. So there's there's lots of different types of robots in this world. There's, right. Sec units are some of the most advanced, and some of the most human-like, mm-hmm. and very mobile obviously, but most ships have some sort of like autopilot mm-hmm. that do most of its operating systems. Right. So basically, it makes an alliance with this transport ship, offers to show it TV, and they get on their way. Mm, that's and lovely. And This particular transport that it gets on is actually much smarter than it anticipates, and is actually this very powerful computer, and knows automatically what Murderbot is knows that it's a rogue sec unit which none of the others have managed to pick up on. Indeed. That freaks Murderbot out but it apologizes for freaking Murderbot out Mm. and because it's so big it can only really process the tv if somebody else is watching it so it can kind of watch it through Murderbot. Okay. But can't just like download it for itself. Sure. Which I don't know enough about computers to make any sense of that, but that's just what we're told in the text, so we're going to go with (laughs) it. Me
1: either? Let's go with it. Sounds Um, good.
0: Murderbot ends up calling the transport ART, A-R-T, which stands for Asshole Research Transport. (laughs) Okay. Because it has a very distinct personality as well, and it kind of needles Murderbot about various things. Okay. ART gets very upset when characters die on the TV shows. It can't really deal with the death of humans at all. Mm. And Murderbot has to like comfort it through these fictional character deaths. And they have an interesting conversation, the two of them, about how the depiction of bots in these shows is always kind of weird and not especially accurate, and how they're also always told from the point of view of humans. And Murderbot thinks or says that you can't really tell a story from the point of view of something you don't think has a point of view, which humans don't really think about robots, hmm. <laughs> which is kind of like Martha Wells has drawn a large flashing sign around this like, ah, yes, look, look, some themes here. Yeah,
1: indeed, indeed. Uh, She's making it real easy for me, yeah. which is fine. And I appreciate it. But I almost feel like I'm not doing enough work here. <laughs> like I'm not digging deep yeah. enough to find the allegories. But
0: yeah. And and again, these are all told in first person. They are literally told from Murderbot's point of view. Right. Right. And there there can always be a little bit of tension between bots because humans can theoretically turn them against each other, but it is kind of nice to bond with another one. And Murderbot is wondering through all this if in regards to this incident that happened, if it killed people because it, the governor module failed or if it was hacked to kill people or if it hacked itself in order to kill people because mm. it doesn't it doesn't have memory of that. Right. Meanwhile, art helps Murderbot to alter its appearance a little bit because again, art has these superior computers. It's able to like program Murderbot's body to like grow a little bit tall and change its facial features again don't ask me how any of this works on a technical level but all all sec units maybe not look exactly the same but all fit the same like body type and general proportions Mm. so this will help it pass through any kind of sensors that would be specifically trying to find a sec unit, because other than that, like, it looks like a human. And art also helps it work through some of these questions about the murder incident and help to, like, form a plan of... Not quite a plan of attack, which is the word I was going for, but, you know, a a plan of how to properly investigate this. Right, totally. Because art is, like I said, it's a research transport, so it knows more about how to conduct a proper investigation. Mm -hmm. So the planet that it did a murder on...
1: I like your way of describing that.
0: <laughs> the the way it ends up getting down there, because it eventually has to find a way of getting to a planet that isn't just catching a ride on a random cargo ship.
1: Right, right. <laughs> it
0: pretends to be a security consultant, like a human security consultant, oh, okay. and gets hired on by this group that are trying to retrieve some data. There's sort of a subplot around this data that's not maybe the most important. And as they're, you know, going down to the planet, Murderbot and these three humans, humans, something attacks the ship that they're in. It kills the bot pilot of this one random shuttle so basically tries to attack these humans like okay. tries to kill them but Art is sort of hovering Art is a large ship and is kind of hovering <laughs> in the sure. in the background and it manages to kind of go through Murderbot and take over control of the shuttle mm-hmm. and land it safely so that the humans don't die. Okay, well that's <laughs> nice. Yeah. It, and it's, it's invest in helping Murderbot figure all this out. So
1: interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. And Murderbot tries to get its employers to abandon this mission. It's like, clearly somebody's trying to kill you. Just leave this planet. Like, give up on this data you're trying to find. Something doesn't want you to find it. But they're humans and they're silly and irrational, so they (laughs) choose to press on. Indeed. And it decides to keep helping them. So the the group meets with the person who has their data, who is named Talacy. Talasi? Sure, allowed
1: to go with that one. I see your confusion. Why not?
0: Talasi has something called a comfort unit.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, you're giving me a look.
1: Comfort unit?
0: Yeah. Also known as a sex bot, right?
1: Okay, good. Yeah, we're on the same page here. Yeah, and
0: comfort units are built very similarly to sec unit in that they are both they're both android and organic. Yeah,
1: very advanced, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, mm. and obviously comfort units don't have weapons because mm. that would be weird. Mm. I mean, I guess maybe some people I was are going to say, that. "Don't kink shame, don't kink shame." <laughs> so, so comfort units don't really have much combat capabilities, sure. but in terms of general build, they're very similar to sec units. And it notices Murderbot and recognizes what it is. Right. So the group meets with Talasi who sticks some bodyguards on them, basically. Murderbot beats up the would-be attackers and this is enough to convince these humans that, yes, Talasi is trying to kill them. They should probably get out while they can. Mm -hmm. The data they're trying to find is not that important. So they decide to head back off-planet. Sure. But Murderbot stays because it's still trying to investigate and it goes to the place where it killed some people, which is called the Ganaka Pit, and it's sort of all, you know, taped off because it's a crime scene, I guess. And it has some very misgiving feelings about going in, and it has to remind itself that the terrible thing that happened was itself, which doesn't help. And it does some investigating in this sort of abandoned station and finds that there was some kind of sabotage that ended up hacking the sec units which is what was the thing that made it kill these people Mm -hmm. and it also finds out that there were some comfort units in the station and that they were confused about what was happening but tried to stop the fighting and it's kind of touched by this fact that these bots that are designed for a fairly specific purpose but were driven by fear and concern for their humans and the other sec units that they basically got themselves killed trying to help the situation. And Murderbot emerges back out of the, the Ganaka pit and finds uh, one of its employers, whose name is Tapan, who is still on the planet trying to chase a lead, and Murderbot sort of unhappily takes her under its wing. It's still very anxious about interacting with humans, especially now that they could theoretically figure out that it is not actually just an augmented human, and in reality, a terrifying Murderbot. Right. And there's also a really sweet scene where Murderbot Is feeling very anxious and art plays the sanctuary moon theme for it, the Mm, theme from its favorite TV show. That's nice. Yeah, to like help it calm down. How cute. It's really adorable. Love in the
1: age of, I I don't even know, (laughs) know, right? (laughs) Robots? Mm. Sure.
0: So so the sex bot comes to speak to Murderbot, the one that was working for Talasi, or right. is owned by Talacy, I guess, probably, technically. Right. And says that it knows Murderbot has a hacked governor module. The sex bot is like, you know, we could kill all the humans. And Murderbot's like, no way would another bot say this to me. Clearly, this is, like, pre-programmed information from Talasi. Because mm-hmm. this, is, this is not how bots talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And it and Art are both kind of appalled by this. Because... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Art is kind of watching this all through Murderbot. And it also, the, the sex bot. it also sends Murderbot a cry for help, basically. Like, underneath this sort of pre-programmed exchange mm-hmm. is sending it this ping. Sure. And there's another scene that's kind of sweet where Murderbot pretends it needs to take a nap to try and give it some time to, like, work stuff out. And also because it's pretending to be a human. And and the client, is terrified of what's happening and curls up next to it for comfort.
1: oh That's nice.
0: (laughs) And Murderbot has a thought about how fear is a kind of artificial condition, that it's something imposed from the outside and that it's something that can be fought. Hmm. In the morning, it tries to send Tapan back off-planet so that it can go meet with Talasi, but it's a trap and Tapan gets taken. Murderbot goes to save Tapen. Talasi's people try to install an override module, which is what tried to be installed on it in the first novella that would make it turn against humans. But one of the changes that Art made while they were playing with Murderbots' physicality, for lack of a better word, was that Art disabled its port. So it, it disabled the place where you would install that kind of thing. So, you, like, its governor module can now never be fixed, mm. and also it can't get hacked basically in mm-hmm. any way anymore. Okay, that's all off the table. Outstanding. Yeah, which is which is nice. So that doesn't Good for Murderbot. Yeah, so so it doesn't have to worry about going. Murder-y again, Unintentionally, at least. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Talacy reveals that she knows about the Ganaka Pit incident and wants to own, I guess, Murderbot. And before Talaisi can really try anything else, Art manages to get into the ship's system that Talacy is on, take it over, and then Murderbot is able to actually take out all of the people there, including Talacy. Taipan gets shot in the process, but they get her back to Art and... And it has a med system that Mm -hmm. fixes her, saves her life. And Murderbot also rescues the comfort unit, sends it on its way as like a rogue agent itself, kind of as a response to its signal for help but also as kind of an acknowledgement of the fact that the comfort units are more more complex than it gave them credit for mm-hmm. because of the fact these other ones tried to help during the the incident in the ganaka pit
1: mm. now if i can just ask a question mm-hmm. you say, uh, sent it off on its own as a rogue unit
0: yeah, I don't...
1: Now, what do you mean by that? I'm
0: trying to remember now, and I, I didn't make note of this, which is annoying for me so it goes. Um, in, the, in the future, which is that I can't remember if it like hacks the comfort unit's governor module or not. I was going
1: to say, does it grant it free will?
0: Yeah, and I don't... I, I want to say yes, but I'm a little bit unclear about that. Sure, not... A... <laughs> yeah. In
1: any case, your characterization of Murderbot sending mm-hmm. the comfort unit off mm-hmm. as a rogue unit, I find very interesting. Interesting. And we'll revisit that after we're done we the second will. November.
0: <laughs> And we also learn that Art came up with the idea to take over Talasi's ship from an episode of Sanctuary Moon that they watched together. (laughs) So it's like getting strategy from these TV shows Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And Murderbot gets paid for a job well done, which is the first time this has ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) Because you don't pay robots usually. And reunites with the the three humans that that it saved. And also maybe they're all lovers. It's a little bit unclear about if they're just coworkers or if they're also in a relationship. Mm-hmm. But that's little column A, little column B. Yeah, it's kind of irrelevant. Murderbot says goodbye to Art because they have to go their separate directions. Oh, like Art, sad. Art still has a, a mission to complete. Like yeah. it has a direction it needs to go, and Murderbot has decided that it wants to continue to investigate Gray chris which is mm-hmm. the organization from the first book. Indeed, and it wants to know a little bit more about these Sec Unit hacking. Things that it's putting out there, and the story ends with it getting on a new, new cargo transport and going off to its next adventure.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, I'd be very curious to hear what you thought were sort of the themes mm. of this novella as opposed to the last one, mm-hmm. which I thought the themes of the last one were mostly focused around uh, humanity, free mm-hmm. will, and I think you're kind of of the same mind. Mm. But regarding this one, I'm, I'm very curious to hear what your thoughts mm-hmm. are, and then I'll share mine right okay. after. So
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the obvious one is that artificial condition is a lot more concerned, obviously, with the relationship of murder to other androids, to other robots. Mm -hmm. Its relationship with art, its relationship with this comfort unit, and how they interact with each other as... The idea that Murderbot is maybe not the only individual robot in the universe. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And and from this, I kind of gathered the last novella was setting the the foundation Mm -hmm. for there are some robots or androids or cyborgs Mm -hmm. out there, artificial beings that have a consciousness that have a sort of free will or sort of humanity. And then in this novella, I got a lot of themes, especially especially that scene you were discussing when they were, when Art and Murderbot were watching the soap operas and describing... You, you'd never see soap opera from the perspective of a robot or an mm-hmm. artificial being. Got a lot of class struggle. Yeah. Revolution. Uh, you know, I, I'm hesitant to use the word revolution because I didn't get that. I got oppression. Mm-hmm. I got class struggle. And I got a changing of perspectives or, or new perspectives, presenting new perspectives. And then it wasn't until later on mm-hmm. when I, I found the first half of the second novella, I was stopping myself and saying, no, there's there's no revolution. There's just Discussing the oppression that they're all inherently facing until you got to the end when there was a little bit of revolution and there was a little bit of Murderbot creating free agents to send out there and perhaps spur on greater, I don't know, revolutions or or awakenings for artificial beings. I just found it very interesting. I find that that Martha Wells is really playing on some essential themes that come along with humanity Mm -hmm. and kind of imposing them on these robots or artificial Mm -hmm. or inhuman subjects in order to kind of turn Mm -hmm. our perspectives. Like I said, new perspectives, right? (laughs) So that's kind of what I got from the second novella.
0: Yeah, no, I, I would agree completely. And I, I don't think that the the robots in the story are meant to be specifically analogous to any one group of people. Indeed. But I think it would be odd to ignore the idea of like who gets to have a point of view in the context of like marginalized groups and how historically, yeah, lots of them have been considered to not have a point of view. Bingo. And like you were saying about the question of oppression and this isn't really a story about, like you said, revolution. Mm. It's not mostly about mm. like overthrowing the man mm. or mm-hmm. um, quote unquote the man, <laughs> or, or trying to take over humanity. Like it's pretty clear that they don't want that, indeed, and that they have a lot of positive feelings. They're towards all altruistic, yeah. And also, who would make the TV?
1: And that's right.
0: <laughs> I think there's at one point a line, and I don't remember which of the novellas it's in, but I think there's a line at one point that robots would probably make bad television, like they wouldn't be able <laughs> to make good television. Yeah. So that's why they need the humans. But even like with so far both of the stories have been at least in part about Murderbot adopting some humans for a little while. Indeed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No it's it's not it's not so much revolutionary in this sort of violent overthrow of all humans, not at all, but revolutionary in that this story, these two novellas at least, have presented the journey of a synthetic being becoming aware, understanding that with that awareness there comes inherent rights... Perhaps maybe that's a stretch, but realizing that there's something more that they don't have. Mm -hmm. With that phrase about how you would never see a television show produced from the perspective of the robots and their understanding of just the the themes of oppression that recur throughout with the Comfort Bot, for example, being forced to say those things that Thalese programmed. The fact that the the Comfort Bot is forced to say those things sort of things well underneath that issuing a cry for help I think screams oppression Mm -hmm. and and what precipitates revolution well it's it's oppression right so and you get a little bit of a taste of that near Mm -hmm. the end I'm very curious to see where it goes even if it goes in a completely different direction because this does seem to be more a story of of gaining humanity and consciousness Mm -hmm. and perspective and the humanness Mm -hmm. of the inhuman but Mm -hmm still.
0: Yeah, I think, and you know, again, we have have two more stories left in this novella, and then a novel as well, which, uh, again, we're definitely not going to get to, but so far, as far as I've read, which I haven't read the novel yet, it's it's more a discussion of identity Mm. and what it means to be a person. Mm. And you know, obviously those questions go along with historical questions of oppression because Mm -hmm. who is considered a person has been a very political issue over the Mm -hmm. years, Mm -hmm. but it's more in a philosophical sense, I think in a lot of this.
1: Fair. And and to that, I want to I want to make clear that I'm not I'm not comparing the the robots mm. or the artificial life forms. I'm not saying that there is an allegory there. Yeah. And that Martha Wells is trying to compare them to a marginalized group in today's world or in the historical world, but that she's playing on these kind of constant themes throughout history and these this constant human mm-hmm. struggle for identity and yeah. a recognition of that. Identity in in spite of oppression. That's kind of what this story is to me, mm-hmm. at least thus far. And I can't wait to see where <laughs> it goes next.
0: So, looking at the time, it seems like we're running a little bit long for this episode, as I kind of thought we might be. So, we're actually going to cap this here, and we're going to pick this up again in two weeks for our next episode with the next two novels or novellas in the Murderbot series: Rogue Protocol and Exit Strategy.
1: If you've enjoyed listening and Presumably you have, since you made it all the way to the end. Then please leave a rating, thumbs up, like or subscribe, whatever it may be, depending on your respective podcast streaming platform. You can find us and all of our episodes on Buzzsprout as the Brodacious Book Club. And you can reach us at Brodacious at gmail.com.
0: You can also reach us on Twitter at Book Brodacious and on Facebook. And on Facebook at uh, BookBrodacious or by searching Brodacious Book Club.
1: Thank you so much for listening, everybody it's been a pleasure catch you next time
0: I've been Aaron Rockford I'm at Pineapple Fury on Twitter
1: and I'm Matthew Thomas you can find me at at M-S-T-H-O-M-A-S 95 on Twitter <laughs> that yeah. dance you're doing yeah.
0: it's a good <laughs> dance thanks again for listening and we'll catch you on the flippity flop
1: catch you on the flippity flop that's right <laughs>